Howdy folks, welcome to our podcast, American Cowboy in New Zealand. This is Ben Longwell with True West Horsemanship. We're glad you're here. Join us as we share stories and adventures and interview extraordinary men and women in the equine and ranching industries to gain insight into horsemanship and life itself. It is our mission to help people and their horses better understand one another and achieve together that which they cannot do individually. Thanks for riding along with us. Hey there, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to the podcast. I am really excited to have Jane Pike of Confident Rider joining me here today. I look forward to visiting with her and catching up. I've worked with Jane and her husband Giles and their horses for quite a number of years, and it's just been a privilege to see them growing in their horsemanship and and uh, making progress with their horses and having fun along the way. Uh, Jane, you know, works with riders. She's a she's a kind of a rider coach and a, and a mindset coach, but more than that, she's delving into some some fresh stuff as well. I'm looking forward to digging into that a little deeper and understanding better what she does and how she came to be doing it. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Jane Pike of Confident Rider. Well, Jane, thank you so much for joining me here today. I do appreciate you taking the time to uh, be here. I know you're a very busy person. And so uh, I'm looking forward to catching up with you again and, uh, and hearing a bit more about your story. It's such a pleasure. I'm super excited that you've got a podcast. Yes, yes, it's it's uh, it's quite a quite an advancement, quite a technical advancement for a cowboy. I think <laughs> you're a trailblazer. Yeah, well, yeah, and I don't I don't know about that, but um, so just a little bit about your background and and maybe a little bit start with what you do. Like if you if if somebody asks what you do, could you, can you define it in like a sentence? I, I've often wondered about that because I've had the pleasure of working with you uh, quite a bit over the last few years and always found it a, a real joy. And uh, it's, it's always interesting to, to hear your side of, of what you do with horses and such. So first of all, can you sort of encapsulate that in a, in a, a paragraph? And then let's dive in with your history and, and where you got started with all this. Awesome. Yeah, well, when people generally ask me that question, I go blank for a period of time as I think about what to say. <laughs> because I've been shape-shifting so much over the years, I'm finding that the answer changes considerably with time. Um, I think how it started out was, well, it, my business is called Confident Rider, and I work exclusively with riders. So while you're working with the, the horses and getting great things happening in terms of partnerships between horses and riders, I'm working or my focus is more um, on the rider and how it is that they're managing themselves, how it is that um, you know, their emotional health is, their mental health is, and um, just really getting all of those pieces together so that when they're working together with their horse, they're ultimately in alignment. Um, you know, what, what it is they're feeling, what it is they're thinking and what it is they're hoping to communicate to their horse is, is all lined up so there's clarity and they can develop a, a really healthy partnership together. Um, I think probably what I'm known for, if I, if I want to think of it that way, um, and it feels a little self-indulgent, but if I'm getting down to it, I'm, I'm kind of known for specialising in confidence and anxiety issues um, or challenges that riders might face when it comes to, to working together with their horses. And that for me has taken me down several different rabbit holes. Um, I think of myself really now as um, someone that works with uh, biomechanics, someone that works with uh, emotional patterns and mental patterns, uh, motor patterns as well in terms of how, how our nervous system is influencing us. So, um, you know, in the beginning, it was the, the, the catchphrase kind of mindset um, and, and mental skills. And I think that that's definitely a part of it, but it, it is just a part of it. The rest of it is how it is where we're functioning on a nervous system level and what that's, um, how that's influencing ultimately our reactions and responses to our horses and just in life generally as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, we could dive off into so many different subjects, even right there as you're, as you're speaking, I'm thinking, uh, it's not unlike our horses, you know, we want them to be mentally and emotionally, you know, okay about the things that we're asking them and, and the things we're trying to communicate. And really the physical side of what we're doing is really just the byproduct of the quality of the physical side is really just the byproduct of their mental and emotional state anyway. So yeah, mindset, mental skills, but 
that congruency of, of all of those systems, the nervous system and all of those things working together, that's uh, it's not unlike our horses. And so it's an interesting, interesting thing. So how did you get, I know you grew up with horses, so maybe a little bit about, about your background, where you're from and, and what you did and sort of how that journey started to unfold for you. Sure. Yeah. Well, I'm from Australia originally um, and I was born in the Blue Mountains. We won't hold that is... against you. No, I know. <laughs> you know, sometimes I mention it, sometimes I don't. It depends whether it's a safe space. <laughs> but, uh, so I was born in the Blue Mountains, which is just west of Sydney. And my mum is a horse, a horse crazy person. And so I can't remember horses not being present in my experience. I'm very fortunate like that. And she rode herself and, um, and we, we rode with her. Basically, I think it was just when I reflect back, I think it was convenient that we just happened to be really into what she was into because I don't think there would have been much of a choice about that anyway. But um, I remember, oh gosh, I can't remember how old I was. I was probably six or seven when I got my, a horse that I would consider to be like my horse. And we didn't have a... Um, a car or a float that was capable of any sort of horse transportation. So my mum rode this little black pony called Captain, who was a rescue pony. The person that she found him off um, had found him rather in a black, uh, some blackberry bushes and they weren't sure about his history or anything like that. So I have this initial vision of my mum riding out of the bush with this little black pony and he became my pony um, that I just used to gallop around the hills on and the farm and through the water and I had really no concept of, um, of him being anything other than magnificent. So I, I kind of laughed to myself because I used to take him to the shows and I used to take him in competitions and we would have been so wildly out of place then. Like he was, you know, it was incapable of plaiting his mane. I, we had none of the gear, like, but I used to just ride in and kind of do my thing. And I used to ride to the competitions as well, which when I think about it now was sort of 10 or 20 Ks usually was our, was our limit. Um, so that was, that was the beginning phase. And then, um, once mum and dad realized that I was pretty serious about it, then we started to get more seriously quote unquote into showing. Um, and I think probably as our financial situation improved slightly with my dad, you know, our family growing up and my dad working more, we could afford to um, invest a little bit more in the horses. And so my whole teenage life basically I was competing um, all over Australia, mainly in showing. Um, and I just, I always just loved the training. I look back now and I think, oh, I wish I knew what I knew now with some of the horses that I had. I was so fortunate, you know, for that. I was riding in these incredibly stimulating environments and they were so well behaved. Like I, I, I it was just, I, I look back now and I think, wow, I, I don't really think I knew how lucky I had it in so many different ways. What, what sort of just sorry excuse me what what sort of showing what what sort of competitions yeah so in australia like showing in and of itself is kind of like a genre of 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 horse sports and so it's basically um you you write you write in front of a judge and you're um, marked on manners and paces and you do like a workout and confirmation is a part of it and you know it's 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 a incredibly um, subjective slash highly political probably process but I just I loved it and it just happened to be what I was introduced to through my parents and so sure. um, that's just what I did and uh, I didn't even really question it you know just it was sort of that's just what we what we're doing and and I just did whatever I was able to to be involved in. So um, I was, it was an incredible experience with that in so many ways, you know, my whole family was involved. So we used to go everywhere together and we had the horses and, and that was just what we did. And when I look back, I realized the significance of that and the fortune of that as well, you know, um, to have such a cohesive unit in that experience. So it was pretty, um, pretty cool in lots of ways and, and kind of informed where I took things moving forward as well. That, definitely stayed in my blood the horses <laughs> absolutely absolutely that's such a great foundation especially different horses and all those different situations and and uh like you said you enjoyed the the training aspect so even back then you you there was something there that you enjoyed that developing that working partnership with the horse and and helping them develop their potential as as individuals 
Yeah, de definitely. I mean, we were really fortunate in where we lived. We had a lot of farmland around us. So we ourselves only had 10 acres, but we had access to all of these neighbouring properties. So the horses that I had, like in the end, I had some really lovely competition horses and we were doing really well on a national level, but they would still be going around the farms with me. We would still be galloping up the hills. You know, they, they didn't have a... a, a a segregated life because they did competition competition was just part of our experience it wasn't our whole experience and I think right. that that's yeah. kind of stayed with me um, now that if I go out to something competitively it's just like well let's see where we're at training wise and let's enjoy this as part of our experience you know not but we're not that's not the the kind of uh, you know the the epicenter of our of our yeah. um, of why we're here Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree with that approach. So from then, as you grew up and, and got into your teens or, or later teens and early 20s or whatnot, what, what was the what was the what was the story there? How did you how did you continue to develop that? So I had a bit of a break from horses in my 20s. Um, I traveled overseas and I actually did a lot of work in emergency aid relief. So I was working in Asia and um, the Middle East. It's, it sounds like quite the segue, doesn't it? But there was a there was a process to get there. Um, but I, I think alongside the horses in terms of where I am now, um, and I've mentioned this before, but there's that great Steve Jobs quote that's like, you can't um, connect the dots by looking forward. You can only connect them by looking back. Um, and all these disparate pieces of my experience have kind of like coalesced to be where it is I am now. But um there was one aspect of it in terms of the competitions made me quite nervous. So I used to get competition nerves. Um, another aspect of it was that my, a, a person very close to me in my family had quite serious mental health issues um, with anxiety and the likes. And my mission since I was a small child was to fix that. Um, and to also, I also had this very strong recognition that not to be in charge of your own mind was pretty much the worst thing that I could think of. Um, having witnessed their experience and so that was a really strong flame within me I guess I wanted to help if you can, can think of it that way um, and horses were the magnifying glass through which I experienced everything so in my adult life um, I recognized that I was good if you like at helping people with confidence and anxiety and I had a lot of um, personal experience in that and at that stage, it was, oh, I'm not qualified enough. I don't know enough about this. I can't, I couldn't do this professionally. I enjoy it. That's surely not going to be what happens. And, and then I just started tinkering in it. And, and that tinkering led to study. And, and it's kind of like been this um, hopscotch path of like deciding that I could have my own thing and, and create my own thing and, and sort of do what I'm doing now, which has um, been probably at the last decade slightly more that it's been a process of refinement yeah right right so did you did you initially as you started to get into that study did you do some psychological type studies on for for people at some point or is that what you went to school for yeah well, well, initially out of school, I was a very good girl at school. I, um, I studied really hard and I got a, a communications law scholarship to um, Sydney University. Wow. And I, I went there for six weeks and I hated it. And I, I had this little Mitsubishi Colt that was like a tiny little smarty type car. And I packed it and just drove two states across Australia home. At that point, my parents lived in Tasmania. Um, and then I was a little bit aimless after that because I'd had this strong focus of this is what was going to happen and my, my whole life was mapped out. And then when that didn't happen, I was like, who am I? <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. Um, so I did study some um, behavioral science and I've that I went into a test in working with um, victims of violence and trauma. And so I did some practical experience in that and ended up um, overseas and working in, in different places. I was in Sri Lanka after the tsunami in 2004 and sort of went different places after that. And I got to the stage where, to cut a very long story short, I was a bit of a, um, a globe hopper and it, I just wanted to be somewhere stable. And I also 
could see that at some point you can travel your whole life and then end up completely baseless um, with no foundation, you know. Um, and so I wanted to put some roots down and I'd always loved New Zealand. And so when I came back, this is where the sort of things come together. I, I got horses back in my life. Um, I, I wanted to use the skills that I had, but not in that field because it had such a heavy personal toll. Um, and so I started to think about how I could merge those two things together. And um, yeah, that's where I ended up kind of putting, putting my own business together, which also incidentally came out of having my first child and being at home and having to be creative about like how this might happen, you know, like how, how could I do this? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, and that does take some creativity, obviously at, at those junctures of life and uh, mm -hmm. learn how to juggle different, different things like that. So, mm -hmm. um, so here's a question for you. What, what has been some of the things that has surprised you the most in developing your work with with riders and, and coming from a background like you did where you, you rode, you rode a lot and you worked with quite a few different horses and you did quite a bit with the horses as you've developed your, your business to work with the riders and the whole mindset. And, and now you're delving into more of the nervous system and, and various things. What, what has been some of your biggest surprises or things that uh, just continue to, to amaze you sometimes? So there's, there's the beautiful surprises and then there's the kind of like, oh, surprise surprises, um, which is, um, is always, they're less of a surprise now, I think. But in the beginning, it's really just incredible how much of a connection horses provide for so many people. Um, and I think for the work that I do, horses give people permission to explore aspects of themselves that they might not otherwise see as okay to do meaning that like because I'm working more on what you would see as kind of the psychological side of things I guess and um, behavioral side of things um, there is a lot of things that people have about themselves that they're ashamed about or that they feel like shouldn't be happening or um, that makes them weak or somehow different from other people and so you get this group of people um, connected through horses and they start to have conversations and the surprise that comes to them I guess is that oh I'm not like this isn't unique to me necessarily like we might share differences in how this is manifesting in our lives but all of us have our stuff you know and, and if you can just lose this idea that you are somehow you need to be ashamed about that and instead be able to step into a place where it's like well this is workable like we can figure this out this is just a you know just like you I'm sure with the horses come come out like it's like there's a you start to with experience um, I can have someone talk to me now and for me it's very obvious what's going on like it's a, and for you as well but for them it's a mystery you know like there's they're in this sort of stuck place I've got no idea and and I guess that's the the joy of being further down the path so the the surprise I I, 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 I have to remind myself of I guess is the beginner's mind mind side of things which is like people are constantly surprised that, that, this, that they're not the only one, that they're not like an island out there. They're the only one that feels this way. And, and so I get surprised by that because I'm surrounded by this now where it's like, really, you think that? Like, no, we're, we're, all, we're all in this. Like, this is, a, you know, this is all of us that are, that are kind of like going through this stuff. Um, and then the beauty of the other side of it is um, once people do have that realisation and there's this kind of collective humanity <laughs> as part of the experience, often what surprises me is just how quickly people can transform or how, you know, when you have a shift in your perspective, just how, uh, how powerful that can be in changing your reality, basically. And that's, uh, it constantly blows me away. I don't know if surprise is the right word, but it constantly uh, surprises me how, um, you know, just how powerful we are in our own, in creating that, you know, creating our own experience. And, and when we have some tools to do otherwise, we do otherwise. Yeah. That is amazing, isn't it? Sometimes we're mm -hmm. literally our own worst enemy. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it's never intentional. I think that's the, that's the other thing to realize. Like it's just like with horses, you know, it's never intentional. And so that I think the more that I learn, um, the more empathetic I am because it's like, oh yeah, like there's very little that I haven't heard about now or seen or, you know, um, it's, it's just like, yeah, okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'll never forget probably, probably one of the first horses and riders that I worked with that were having a real confidence issue. And it won't have been the first, but it would have been the first that I was really conscious of it. And the horse had come to me for basically sort of like a restart, but um, the lady was real upfront that she had lost her confidence and that, and that he scared her. And this would have been probably, I think it was within the first year uh, that we had moved to, to New Zealand here. So, um, you know, it's been, been nine or 10 years ago now. And I can still, I can still remember thinking, man, I can help this horse, but I don't know what to tell this lady, you know, mm-hmm. like, and, and so we, we worked on some things and the only thing I could think of to do is to obviously break things down into smaller tasks and help her realize that she could communicate successfully and, and the horse would respond, you know, and hope to build confidence through experience like that, you know, mm-hmm. and we met with limited success I think on that the horse the horse was all right but um I can't remember you know down the road what she ended up doing but I'll never forget that because it is certainly a a two-sided deal you know when you're when you're dealing with that sort of thing and and the horse is is so changeable as well you say you know how the people are changeable based on what they're thinking or believing and you know the horse is kind of the same and if you throw them in the mix and that person is, is basically exuding a lack of confidence or, or nervousness or fear or anger or whatever it is, that horse is going to feed on that. And it's going to affect the way he's thinking and feeling about stuff. And pretty soon, you know, he might've been okay before that, but now you've got a real mess on your hands and it's, it's a vicious cycle. I bet basically. It really is. Yeah. And vice versa from my position, like I see myself very much in partnership with um, people like yourself who are training the horses, because if, if I get someone that comes to me and says, you know, my horse is rearing or they're bolting and I'm worried, I'm like, well, you should be like, that's a good thing that you're worried about that because that's something you need to be worried about, you know, like you exactly. can get yourself really seriously hurt. And so I'm pretty upfront about the fact that I can definitely help you get into a place where you're not operating reflexively um, out of when, when it's not required. However, your, your experience is valid. Like, and you need to be also working with someone that can help you with your horse because those two things need to come together. Um, So yeah, it's the horsemanship people with a horsemanship basis or background or interest are always my favorite because there's a, there's that, double work going on you know which is it it has to be in order to create success in my right right those are the folks that already understand some of that connection and how important it is yeah absolutely and and you know on the in the same breath it's like they also take responsibility sometimes too much responsibility like in the case of a horse that's bolting it's like well there does have to be you know, like that, that has to be uh, taken care of as well. You can't just constantly blame yourself because it just makes you ineffective, but it's like, you know, there's, it's such a dance that really is. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. There's a, there's a lot of people that, you know, and we say, you know, in horsemanship, it's never the horse's fault. And that's true. But that doesn't mean we need to be going around, you know, down on ourselves or blaming ourselves or second guessing ourselves or doubting ourselves constantly either, because yeah. like you say, that's not going to be effective in the long run either. So it is, a, it's yeah. a balance between the two and, and both the horse and the human has free will and choice and, and goes through each day and each session of, of work or whatever, making hundreds of little choices. And so yeah, you just got to try to work together with with those things and get, get to where we're kind of trying to think the same thing, I think mainly. Absolutely. Yeah. So here's a question for you. Is there one horse in your experience that you'll never forget? Do you know, I really think it's D um, and he's my current horse. So, and I don't mean to say it just because he is my current horse, but he's been the first horse that I've worked with from the beginning. Um, and there have been some moments where I've thought, 
I don't know if I can do this. You know, like it's a, he's a, he's a big horse. He was, I, I've worked with you a lot with him. So um, he's a fabulous horse, but just in terms of me being able to meet him and then, you know, um, regardless of the horse's personality, like it's still, if they don't know, they don't know. And you have to be able to step up and, and um, guide them through different experiences when you're starting them or so on, you know, those sorts of things. And so for me, it's been, um, definitely I would say even for the first 12 months you know every time I got up there I had to man- actively manage myself like I was and I and I still sometimes have those moments but he's just it's been such a joy it's um it really has been and he we also went through a period where I almost lost him he was very very ill for 12 months and and um, I actually bought another horse thinking that it wouldn't be possible to I was either going to lose him or um he wouldn't be rideable so that in and of itself he's been a real warrior and I kind of I made a promise to him that if he survived that I would um do the best by him so I'm trying to hold true to that promise (laughs) (laughs) well there's no doubt that B is a pretty pretty cool horse and it's been awesome to see your journey with him and I think remembering back I think I was there helping you the first time you saddled him and yes you know just it's just been neat to be part of that process and 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 watch watch you not only start your own horse which is cool in and of itself I think for anybody and I always get a kick out of helping people do that but also to watch you in what your work is and and your work as as in helping other riders with their confidence or anxiety and then you're actually living that yourself you're actually dealing with that yourself like you said when you got up there the first 12 months you were managing you had to manage yourself and and so you were getting a, a, a crash course, for the lack of a better word, in, you know, in applying and, and living those very principles that you're actually teaching. And so it's, it actually is quite a bit like what I do. Like I go out and I work with horses here at home and I'm starting youngsters or I'm doing pro- problem solving. And then if I go on the road and I'm teaching clinics, I'm basically simply downloading to others what I've been working on at home and the same mistakes they're making I've made and the same things that they need to do to change the outcome and change the way that horse is feeling and thinking I've done that or I haven't done that or I've you know I've made those mistakes and and I've had to you know learn from the consequences and learn from the effects and 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 so on so it's pretty cool to think about in terms of what you do and and your experience in starting your own horse and the, the amount of work and dedication that you've put into your horses, it's, it is exemplary. So I got to, I got yeah, to say you. that my hats off to you. <laughs> thank you. I, I, yeah, the, this on a similar thread, it's like, um, the work that I teach is very much alive. Like this is my practice. Like what I teach is my practice. I'm not removed from what I teach or advanced beyond what I teach. It's like, exactly. this is my, this is my practice. And I think that Um, perhaps where I'm able to help people is because it's my practice. Like I'm not, it's, I, I'm not what I would describe as like a supremely confident rider. Like I'm a very aware rider. I'm not addicted to adrenaline. I'm not in it for the kicks. Like I don't want to get on and have my horse bronking around the arena. That's not a fun time to me. Um, And so I love the harmony and I love the training, but it is very much about like, I'll have the moments where I'm like, this is a lot, you know, and like, what am I going to do? And so I try to think, well, what would I recommend to someone else to do in this moment? And yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you've been very gracious in allowing me those processes at your clinics as well, which I'm always very appreciative of. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's really what it's all about. It's, I think it's a journey for all of us and um, you know, it looks different, but it's, it's the same still, you know, for, for each of us, we're, we're, it's still human and horse, you know, even, even within all those differences that we might, that we might face. All right. Here's a question for you. What is one thing about horses that you wish you'd known 10 years ago? Oh, so much. I feel like 10 years ago was like a massive shift for me. Um, so prior to maybe say 10, 15 years ago, um, I really had no, what's the right words that I'm looking for? I, I came from a very traditional writing background. And so 
I think I didn't think about things so much behaviorally. Like I didn't really give a lot of thought to things. And I know that sounds horrendous actually. <laughs> it wasn't that I, it wasn't that I was like cruel or unkind. Like I was kind to my horses, but there was also probably a lot that I did just because people before me did that. And because that's what I was told and I just did what I was told. And, and so I rode in very traditional ways, you know, um, and so I wish that I'd known about more about um, the horse's process, like what motivates their behavior, what, what causes them to respond in the ways that they do, what, what really makes them tick, I guess, um, which I know is just a thesis for life, basically. But I never really considered it from their point of view before. Like when I was growing up, it was just like, you know, they were my friend and I loved them, but I didn't think about the training in that way. And now I'm very, um, I think I try to be a really independent thinker in terms of like breaking things down and trying to understand the motivations for different behaviors. Exactly. Um, and, and that's been a game changer. Like I, I actually seriously don't know how people ride and not get killed without a horsemanship. Under, I just, it's just luck. I think like, I'll be that brutally honest. <laughs> it's um, I don't know how people do it or like, yeah, now yeah. without ground, without ground skills and without those, those skills of understanding um, the motivations and how to keep yourself safe. I just, to me, it's just, how do you ride without that? Like it's that, and I know I used to, so it's a thing, but it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's more of a game, a, more of a gamble. It definitely is. And, and yeah. I mean, there's no doubt, you know, working and riding horses is, is a dangerous, you know, game, but, mm -hmm. but it doesn't have to be near as dangerous as, as it is for a lot of folks yeah. be, because of yeah. that. But what you're saying, you know, with those pieces missing, I think, uh, and, and I think most people, you know, are in that same boat where they used to ride that way or, or they, that's how they're introduced to riding is, is just the mechanics of it, just the, the physical outcomes yeah. of it and, you know, getting it done and not really giving much thought as to what's behind all that with where the horse is at mentally and emotionally yeah. and, and what their motivations are, what they're thinking and, and how to set those things up for success, which is ultimately safety for us, but also safety for the horse or, or them feeling safe, uh, which yeah. is sometimes two different things, of course, but absolutely. Um, yeah. No, that's, I have that's one sort huge. Of little little physical example where the pony that I rode when I was 13 or 14 she used to habitually disunite in the canter and it just never occurred to me like uh, now then I'm like oh she obviously something needed to happen in her body like something was happening in her body or her balance and just one of those things you reflect back on like decades ago and think about like just never occurred to me then I was just like oh she's disunited again okay let's go again like that was just like the there was just no thought process beyond that and so hopefully I have more depth as a human and a horse person now than I did back then <laughs> absolutely absolutely always look always good to look, be able to look back and and uh, see where you come from and and see some ground yeah. that you've covered for sure yeah absolutely <laughs> for sure so now you guys are down south of where we are here in the South Island in New Zealand and mm -hmm. this just this question just popped into my head I know you've done some traveling in the past with, with your work. And of course, a lot of your work is online. You've got your, and we'll talk more about what you do and what you have to offer uh, in a little bit. Uh, mm -hmm. But are you, do you want to do more traveling or are you, are you, is that part of what can incorporate in what you do? Or is it, is it better just to have those resources online and work with people like you do? So uh, a secret, I'm actually a massive introvert and I love being at home. Um, so I, I feel like I've engineered my work to, uh, to suit, my, suit my personal tastes in that department. But, um, you know, it's really interesting. I was having this conversation with another trainer the other day um, and I've traveled extensively through my 20s and, and 30s, as, well, yeah, mainly my 20s and um, have been a lot of places in the world and I kind of got that out of my system I think I'm pretty happy to be where I am now um, but we were having the conversation about effectiveness of online learning versus in-person learning and I really think that what I do has a huge amount of efficacy online because um, it's a I can provide regularity of support which I think is really key in what it is that I teach 
Um, and I teach a lot of movement-based work, which is um, I can guide people through that multiple times a week online, and then they go and they they go and do the practice. And so, in my particular area, I really do think that um, while it's lovely to have someone on the ground for consistent long-term change this is actually the best option i believe it to be the best option in terms of what i offer um and clinic wise and teaching wise yeah absolutely i could i, I could travel all over the place but i think just my, my children are young and um you know i like riding my own horses and so um that's kind of like a massive really important part of my life and so i've i've been very mindful of of having those pieces be prioritized as well absolutely yeah. yeah absolutely you got to think through some of those things and and get your priorities all squared away there so that's you're you're absolutely right there yeah. um traveling is is a lot of fun but uh it doesn't it comes at a cost you know in, in terms it does. of yeah riding your own horses or if you have young kids that's that's a big one i'm kind of in the same boat with some of that sometimes that's why i yeah. take take them all with me. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's, that's the ideal. Yeah, that's exactly the ideal. <laughs> that's cool. Very cool. So what, what are you doing currently or what, what do you tend to do to continue your, your education? Um, I know one thing, obviously you've been to a lot of my clinics and it's always, always awesome to ride and work with you. And, and so you're developing your horsemanship, you're working on your own horses. And, and mm -hmm. of course that is, is the, part of your, uh, what you offer to people is like you said, it is your practice. It is your experience. It is what you're doing and what you're going through with your own horses. So there's, there's certainly the hands-on of, of all that you're doing with your own horses, but we were visiting here a while back at my last clinic and, and, uh, and a little bit about your, your current studies. So in a nutshell, mm -hmm. what, what are, what are you delving into here recently? Uh, so my current obsession for the last 12 to 18 months um, has been around biomechanics, but from a nervous system perspective. So my, my work up until now has inc included a huge somatic or body-based element because you really can't separate the two out in terms of how the mind and the body are manifesting in your experience. But the further I got into it, I was, it's one of those things where you just want more detailed answers, more specific understandings, more, more kind of um, concrete reasons and concrete practices from that place. And so, you know, in my field, people talk a lot about energy. They talk a lot about like the window of tolerance as an example of the, a nervous system model, which relates to your capacity, you know, how much, how much you can handle before you might have a response that's not useful for the moment. But those things in and of themselves, they've been what I've taught up until now, but they're still subjective. You know, they're very, you talk about energy, you talk about capacity, you talk about window of tolerance. There's, there's, it's, it's, it can be ambiguous, you know, and, and it yeah. can be like, well, how do, how do I apply this? And, and so I've had things that I've worked with that I've applied, but my understanding now and where my study has taken me now is into um, motor function and specifically how, um, how our nervous system is really dictating our structure. So if you think about the um, autonomic nervous system, which is what most of us are familiar with when we, when we think about nervous system work, we're talking about the parasympathetic nervous system and the sympathetic nervous system. And so the sympathetic nervous system is our fight flight nervous system. That's what gets activated um, under threat. And the parasympathetic nervous system is very simplistically from school, most people would understand that as rest and digest. But actually the parasympathetic nervous system is so much more than that. Um, and both of those divisions are unconscious. So it's how our unconscious brain responds to the presence of safety or the presence of a threat. And this is the same in horses and humans. So any mammalian nervous system. Um, but both of those divisions of our nervous system come under the motor division overall, meaning that as soon as... Um, one of those systems is activated, there is a structural change in the body. Something physically happens in the body. Um, and so to break it down in very uh, kind of simplistic terms, in order yes, for please. the brain to make, yeah, in order for the brain to make a decision about how we're going to respond in any situation, there's sensory information coming in. So that's the only pathway coming into the brain that provides it with information about what's going on. And from that point, the brain makes a decision and it sends the decision out in two different ways. 
it can send out a patterned response, which is sensory information is coming in. I'm collating that sensory information and I'm responding to the moment with this pattern, with this motor pattern and with this emotional pattern. And every motor pattern has a, um, a concurrent thought process and emotional process attached to it. Is this making sense so far? Yep, I so got gotcha. you. Gotcha. Kind of like the mind-body connection. And so, so sensory information comes in and the brain has two uh, possibilities about what it sends out. It's always trying to send out a response. The patterned response is real-time information response. Um, and that is what we would understand as a parasympathetic response. And the fight-flight response is a reflexive response, meaning that um, if I'm in the fight-flight nervous system or if that nervous system is activated, it's only possible for me to respond in a way that I have responded previously. I can only respond by, via reflex. And this is where people are getting into Groundhog Day experiences where they're essentially stuck in their sympathetic nervous system. They're stuck in the fight-flight activation for a number of different reasons. And when we're in that place, it's not possible for us to create new responses. We can only respond in ways that we have done previously. Um, and so my work is really about nervous system adaptability. It's about restoring nervous system adaptability to, um, to humans so that they're having an appropriate response for their environment and for what it is that's going on. Um, and so that we're actually able to interrupt some of those reflexive patterns and reflex reflexive modes of behavior and responses and introduce um, some more responsive patterning that's actually matching the reality of their moment rather than uh, a predetermined model that they're essentially responding to from before. Yeah. Right. So, right. So you've, been to enough of my clinics to have heard me talk about response versus reaction quite a number mm -hmm. of times and how we're basically wanting our horses to be conditioned and have a different neurological pathway to at least to be able to come out of that state of instinctive or reflexive reaction mm -hmm. where they're going into self-preservation and come back to a state of responding to us or trying to listen mm -hmm. right so that um, we can all stay safe and yeah. really going there at some point with some intention so as to basically, if I understand what you're saying, you know, to actually set that up in their mind and start to give them those experiences so they have a bit of a pattern to go to uh, rather than that instinctive fight and flight, which horses are, are, are yeah. going to naturally be prone to. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the best ways to think about it is that for every experience that we have, for everything that we do, the brain stores two to three motor responses to that particular experience. So there are two or three options, if you like, in terms of how we can respond to everything that we do. And so for everything that we do do, we have a dominant expression. So perhaps um, I'm sending my horse out on the line, on the circle, and perhaps he's had a bad experience before. And so his dominant response to what it is that I do might be to like immediately back off and kind of freak out. And so my role in that um, situation is to somehow interrupt that patterning so that I can install a new pattern. And so after a while, the more that I'm able to install a new pattern, that dominant response becomes less dominant to the point where I'm now introducing a different dominant pattern. And that's what becomes the, the, the pattern that they choose in response to that particular cue. Um, with horses, it's, it's kind of like easier and harder in some ways um, because easier in that they don't have the emotional brain that humans do that can really complicate life. Like the, the horse's response to what's going on is a true response, right? Like they're, they're, there, is, there is an honest response to what's happening, yeah. whereas a human response can be a story-based response or a, you know, a narrative response that's not a true response to what's going yeah. on. Um, and so with horses, our goal, if we think of it on a nervous system level, is to uh, change the sensory input, is to increase and change the sensory input to the point where we're able to interrupt the pattern um, because sensory input is basically what we're basing our decisions on. Um, the difficulty with humans or the complication, I guess, with, um, with this is that when we get into a state of fight flight activation, 
the sensory system is essentially turned off um, because if you think about when you're trying to protect yourself from a bear, for instance, let's say like a, a very like bold survival situation, your sensory system turns off as a um, protective mechanism because you don't want to feel the pain. You want to be able to get away. You want to be able to fight. You don't want to be immobilized by the fact that you've got a big tear in your arm and that's really hurting, for instance. And so those are these situations where you hear, oh, it was amazing, like half my leg was off, but I ran 10 miles or I lifted up a car and I didn't feel it until later when I was at home and then all of a sudden I had the input. That's yeah. because our sensory nerves essentially demyelinate in, in fight flight situations. And so that's designed for temporary measures, right? Like we're not always supposed to be in that fight flight response, but you have people who are um, in that fight flight response as a matter of kind of dysfunction, or we've got to that place where we're no longer adaptable on a nervous system level. And so the sensory inputs not coming in anymore, that the actual sensory system is not activated. And so in that case, the only information that the brain has to go on is previous information because new stuff's not coming in. Um, and so this is where we get these, again, Groundhog Day loops. So my work's really about restoring that sensory system, restoring that um, parasympathetic right. function so that we can get back to being more responsive and start to have different, um, different possibilities. Um, and then also just understanding how the emotional pieces and the, the story-based pieces really feed into to their reactions. Was that too much? I get carried away. No, no, I, um, no, that's, that's perfect. And I, and I think I'd have to say the horses are easier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's plenty of complicated horses out there that, um, you know, you gave the example of, you know, you send them off around you in a circle and they just react or they whip around to face up to you because they don't want you standing there alongside of them and they feel vulnerable. And, mm -hmm. and you may never know why, you know, what their motivation stems from. But mm -hmm. I think just being less complicated emotionally is, it bound, is bound to make things quite a bit easier with horses. If you can just, it doesn't even necessarily take a lot of repetition if you can help them find relief through a different means than yeah. reaction and yeah, helping them absolutely. break those things down and think their way through to a place of relief. And they start to let down and they start to process and they start to trust. And, and, uh, and there is that emotional baggage that hangs on for a little while. So there is some repetition there, but, but uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm thinking that horses are just a little less complicated. <laughs> well, well, we, we humans have something called loss aversion, which is the, the brain really wants to hold on to what it has already and what it's learned already. And so learning in and of itself is actually a process of letting go as much as it is a process of accumulation. Right. Like to learn something new, you have to be willing to let go of what you have tried before um, in order to take on that new skill, if that makes sense, or that new, that new learning. And the thing about a lot of what we would understand as um, perhaps unfavorable or even things that we're wanting to kind of get rid of quote unquote there's a gain that we uh there's a positive gain that we get from those behaviors in many instances and if they've become part of our survival strategy like anxiety for instance might be the reason that you get attention or that there's camaraderie or that you don't have to face up to things or that you know there's there's a lot of get out of jail free cards that anxiety provides and i'm not saying that people are consciously doing this. This is not a conscious choice. And I'm not saying that people want these things consciously or to blame anyone that feels anxious. Like this is something that I've worked through myself, but we need to recognize that we've got to let go of something if we want something different to happen. And it's that letting go, that's the piece or that's the catch point. Because at some point you've got to be willing to be different and you've got to be willing to drop the story. You've got to be willing to stop talking about it and being getting affirmation for, for it and labeling for it and you know like all of the people around you if you have developed kinship through your shared struggle then you've got to be willing to lose that as well and so there's yeah. these elements that's it's interesting to to look at and can be very um confronting because our strategies are like the icky parts of us they're the manipulations they're the things that we get for the behaviors that perhaps aren't that healthy and we all have that you know at some point and you've just got to be willing to shed skin all the time and be like okay 
that's not a great part of me, but I'll let that go and, and, you know, we'll try something new. And so that's the tricky part. I think it's, you get to that point where you can shift and shift and shift. And in order for there to be like a real up leveling, you've, you have to be willing to look yourself in the eye and go, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to be actually someone different now. Um, and, and that's what, what's required. Yeah. I think because from a body based perspective, I mean, every nine months, our cells are completely new, like from start to finish every 21 days, like it's, we're recycling everything apart from the liver and the brain. And so it's from a body based perspective, there is no reason why your body needs to be holding on to the patterns that it has. What's perpetuating them is the mind actually. And so it's liberating and confronting at the same time and not to blame anyone for anything that's happening, but it's interesting. If you think of it that way, it's like, huh, okay. There's a lot of opportunity here to, to create something different. That is amazing. Isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So Jane, tell us a little bit about what you offer, what your program is and, and you know, what your business model is right now. What, what, what do you, what are you doing? I'm changing everything at the moment. I think actually by the time, by the time this um, has come out, it'll be already underway. But my membership program, Joyride, is my main love and focus. Um, and that's where I do the majority of my work. I work a little bit one-on-one as well. But um, just I find Joyride to be the best, the best kind of um, model for what I deliver in terms of its accessibility. And the, the changes that are happening now is that I'm rewriting the program um, to include this nervous system biomechanics that I'm talking about, the like dominant expression and patterning processes. Um, and also what's changing is through experience, I've realized that, um, you know, I've got a, a very big currently educational component to my program and it's possible to do that and read it like a book and not actually do it. Right. <laughs> um, and so... I'm changing it from being more theory heavy to experientially based um, so that the educational program is there as far as competency and understanding for what we're doing. And then three times a week, I'm running live movement-based sessions, which actually get us to do what it is that I'm talking about. And then there's practices where I'm like, now go and do when you're riding your horse, practice this or in your life, practice this. So it's, it's flipping the model from being more of a a theory model to like a, a doing model. Um, because the thing with my work is that if you didn't understand it at all and you still practice what I told you, you would still get the benefit. But if you just really understood it but never practiced, you're not going to get the benefit. So it's like it's a counterintuitive because we all love to think and stew. And But actually, if you just did it, if you just kept doing it, even if you didn't understand it, you would get the change that you were looking for. So I, I'm sort of flipping it to, to be that awesome. way. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. That's awesome that you're you're continuing to develop that that resource and yeah it's absolutely true. Um, it's one of those things again. I just have to go back to the horses and and with what I do, you know, people love to come and watch clinics, especially if they're a little bit anxious <laughs> or a little mm-hmm. bit uh, you know don't want to be in front of other people or whatever the case might be and that's huge value to be able to audit a clinic. It is definitely huge value and you can see stuff, you can write stuff down and, and you, you know, very, very good stuff. But just cause you understand those concepts and those principles and, and the ideas and everything that we're talking about does not mean that you can go and do them. And it's the doing of it that is really where the rubber meets the road in, in terms of, you know, what you're actually going to be able to accomplish and, and, and really what your partnership with your horse is going to be like. It can't, it can't just be all theory. Yeah, absolutely. No, it, re- it really can't. And it's, it has to live in you, you know, like it has to be yes. a felt experience. And I think that's what I've just noticed that people who I've been, you know, have been with me for a while. I'm like, oh, I can see that you get it, but you're not doing it. Like, and so it's, without wanting to be harsh you know it's just like you you, you're not going to benefit if you don't do it like it's like you have to actually practice it and so I'm I tried to think of ways that would make that more accessible for people to sort of like facilitate that without you know there has to be an element of self-responsibility of course as well so um sure but uh yeah to actually kind of like make it alive and so I was like all right well let's change things up 
I had the loss aversion then too of like all that work I'm scrapping and doing it again. Oh my goodness, but it's okay. <laughs> I've, I've come to peace with myself now. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so one more question before we sort of um, head towards wrapping things up. This, this is kind of a heavy question for you. How would you like to be remembered, or what is what is your legacy that you feel like you're working on? Oh gosh. I read this really amazing thing once, which always stuck with me that I, this is like dancing around your question, but I'm coming back to it, um, <laughs> which is like, no one truly ever knows what their legacy is. Like your, your legacy might be sitting next to the stranger at the bus stop and saying something to them that stopped them doing something or changed the trajectory of their life. And that might be your legacy. So I always love that, like slightly mysterious, magical element of, of the legacy. For sure. um, what would be my legacy? So if I think of it through my work, what I would like my legacy to be um really you know I I I attended a dissection on the weekend a, a, a dissection of the central nervous system of the brain and the pelvis and the um everything else and I I um brain and pelvis I, I meant that that was the part of the body that was like on display <laughs> not that the pelvis is in the central nervous system but um anyways that there was just like this huge it was I can only describe it as sort of like a spiritual experience where there was just this massive amount of reverence for the incredible system and body and life that we are a part of, like truly. And, and, and it sounds naff and it sounds cliche, but it was just like, wow, like this is yeah. just amazing. And so I hope that in some tiny minuscule way that if I could transfer through my work actually to give someone a sense of that in themselves and that like that that kind of like not power but like just reverence for what's possible for you and like and and how how magical actually the body is and like this incredible universe that's like going on inside you and if we can be in harmony with that you know and understand more about that just how much possibility there is for life and you know we see that in our horses I think that's what we're innately drawn to this like presence and power and like majesty and maybe they connect us to something primal and deeper you know that we really like feel with them that's what I feel myself and so that's what I hope I know I don't even know what I was trying to articulate then but just that's like good. To, to give people something a little bit deeper beyond like mindset and the inspirational quote and the meme that circulates on social media, which is lovely, but like to really say, wow, like how incredible is this body and brain and what magic are we going to do with it sort of thing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I like that yeah. for yeah. sure. I like that. <laughs> so Jane, where are some places and where, where are your, you located online that people can find out more about what you do? You've got your social media and your websites and stuff, and we'll be putting those down in our show notes as well. Thank you. Um, my website's confidentrider.online, and that's got a whole, all the different links to the different places that you can find me on there. Um, but I'm on Facebook as Confident Rider and um, Instagram, confident underscore rider. I think those are the main places. And I've got my um, podcast, The Confident Writer Podcast, which you've been on as well. And I want to get you back on, actually. Yeah, um, for sure. That'd be great. Or I, I've taken a short hiatus from that because I decided to launch a season two in line with kind of everything new that was coming. So um, that's what, yeah, that's probably the, the podcast, you know, is probably the a great place to start because we I have loads of conversations there about many things. And you can decide whether I to take me or leave me <laughs> based on those conversations. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Well, that's, yeah. that's perfect. So people know where to, where to find more about what you do and, and maybe get in touch with you if they, if they so desire, I sure appreciate you taking some time, Jane. I know you're a very busy person, so I really do uh, respect you taking some time and, and thank you for taking some time to, to get with me today. And oh, uh, we will, pleasure. we'll be catching up with you again very shortly definitely you're, you're not rid of me in any way i'm ready for the next season schedule to roll out <laughs> we're getting close we're getting close we hope to have the spring clinics scheduled for uh uh starting in october november here in a, just a week or two 
That's really exciting. Well, you'll see me ping up in your inbox for like, oh, Jane's booked four clinics off the bat. <laughs> She's keen. <laughs> I look forward to it. Thank you, Jane. Have a good day. Thanks, Ben. You too. Well, that's all from us today. Thank you for listening to American Cowboy in New Zealand. If you like this episode, please share and leave your five-star rating or review. Remember, you can find us on social media or our website, truewesthorsemanship.com.